1: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
2: And a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome to the program five minutes after the hour of five o'clock here on your basic Tuesday afternoon. And I hope you're having a good week so far. We are T-minus two weeks and counting to the November 3rd election. Some of us have already Voted quite some while ago and certainly encourage you to participate in that process that important process that is essentially self-governance right government of by and for the people as lincoln intoned in the gettysburg address so uh we're all about that and encouraging you to uh Exercise your constitutional right and duty as a citizen. We're going to talk more about the elections coming up later on in the program. We'll have an update for you from Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, as we talk a bit about the importance of values voters and understanding where the candidates, even at the lowest levels, and and by lowest I don't mean it in a demeaning fashion, but by lowest is sort of the introductory levels. Of politics, These are the folks that run for city council or school board, things of that sort, and eventually make their way up the chairs. You'll almost always find incidences where a senator or a congressman began at some point in their political career at a local election. So the folks that we vote for city council or for school board member today will be tomorrow or next year or next decade's congressmen and senators. So it's important to understand where they stand, and we'll talk more about that coming up later on in tonight's program. Also, Brad Dagos will be by for an update a little bit later on. He, of course, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute as we talk about the impact on COVID, social gatherings, and the church. All that, plus, of course, traffic every 10 minutes to get you home safe and sound on this Tuesday, or at least get you safely down the hallway from from the home office bedroom combination to uh, the kitchen and all that. All right, let's get down to cases, shall we? We've been watching with... um, growing interest in recent days, discussions about, well, for example, the uh, Department of Justice and uh, antitrust allegations against Google, the broader concern of whether some of these tech information giants like Facebook and Twitter at all have perhaps too much influence and what we can do about it. And influence is not a bad thing, provided that it's a fair, free, and open platform but oftentimes that is not the case and as I have long argued on this program long time listeners can attest to this raise your hand just don't take them off the steering wheel for too long that encouraging people to send a message to corporate America be it in Hollywood or uh, on uh, Madison Avenue the big ad agencies in New York City to do the right thing to be Um, participating citizens, good corporate citizens in America, is something that we need to encourage them to do, and when they don't behave in the proper fashion, to vote with our feet. My first guest tonight will argue there's another way that we can vote, Jerry Bauer is the financial economist, public speaker for business conferences, and publisher of Affluent Investor Daily. And always an education whenever Jerry has time to be with us, such as today. Jerry is always good to have you on board.
1: Craig, always great to be with
2: you. You know, as I said, uh, my sort of campaign, as it were, against well, in particular, violence in Hollywood that masquerades as entertainment—be it either showing up on TV, film, or even in video games—I've long said, look, don't buy it, don't own it, don't support it when they do. Um, mm-hmm. But that's becoming even broader because it's gone just not not just simply to the kind of entertainment that may impact society, or more specifically, in the case of of violence and over-sexualization children. But then the broader notion, as I say, with the the most recent uh, DOJ Google antitrust suit and other attention on outlets like Facebook and Twitter, that there are other ways in which we ought to have our voices heard. And simply uh, boycotting or not purchasing the products of a given company is one way to do it. But as you point out in a new article, it's not the only way to do it.
1: No, and it might not be the most powerful way to do it. Now, I'm not saying uh, for people not to boycott, not to vote with their dollars. Um, so this is not um, a means of influence that is in competition with those means. Um, but I would say that we all know about boycotting. It's kind of hard to get people to boycott. Um, um, so that's a, that's a challenge with boycotting. But we all know about boycotting. And just today we found out. You know, Netflix uh, in its earnings report indicated that they're having problems with subscribers. Hmm. Well, uh, about a month ago, Netflix did what amounts to a gateway to child porn um, uh, promotion of a movie called Cuties, uh, where the trailer had uh, little girls. Well, I'm not even going to describe this disgusting. Um, and then they they got a huge number of cancellations. So some people voted with their dollars, and I'm glad they did. Um, but I want to talk about another way to do this, um, which is arguably more influential, but very much underused. If you have a retirement account with stock in it, there's a pretty good chance that you own Netflix or you own Google or you own Twitter, which um, you know, recently blocked a story from the New York Post. That was politically inconvenient to the Biden um, campaign um, for seemingly no other reason than the fact that it was politically inconvenient to the Biden campaign. These are big companies. They're in the Nasdaq, They're in the S&P 500. Some of them are in the Dow. Uh, So they're probably in your 401k or your IRA or whatever kind of retirement plan you have. As a shareholder, you have power. You mentioned voting earlier government of the people, by the people, for the people, right? Um, uh, Said by Lincoln, by the way, he was quoting the Wycliffe Bible when he said that, the introduction to the Wycliffe Bible. Um, That is us as citizens. We vote in our elections. Well, guess what? As shareholders, we get to vote in those elections, too. Only we don't know it. Conservatives don't know about that, and liberals do. So... Uh, maybe, you know, some ideological group or sexual identity group that represents maybe a half a percent of the population, hyper-organizes, buys one share of stock, goes to the annual meeting, speaks up, votes on all the proxies, lobbies members of the board of directors, and has influence a hundred or two hundred times their size. We Christians who are arguably, let's say, evangelical Christians and traditional Roman Catholics are maybe 35% of the population. In other words, serious Christians. Um Christians, people who identify as Christians are a majority of the population we don 't organize we don 't show up we don 't even know that we can vote in these companies' elections we don 't know that we 're the ones who decide we 're the boss of who gets to be on the board of directors of Netflix and Google and Twitter and facebook that 's our decision, and then the board is the boss of the CEO and the CEO is the boss of the staff um, so we 're calling upon them to be good corporate citizens. But we're not being good shareholder citizens. We're not actually voting our vote, and I'm saying it's time for Christians to start doing that.
2: And, and you know, to 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 sort of the heart of your point here, um, you know, the the boycott at certain levels and certain times with certain companies has been effective, but nothing is more effective to send a message to the president of a corporation. And its board of directors then for shareholders, both minority and majority shareholders, uh, to actively engage in the vote and to in that fashion communicate. and you know, a lot of us that perhaps have investments in a retirement plan, things of that sort, you might even get these proxy votes in the mail. And typically, I'm going to guess everybody who's received them in the mail saying, here's your chance to vote for the board of directors. Here's your proxy vote. They go, vote. I don't need to vote. Oh, that stuff. I don't worry about that. They know what to do. And they end up, Tearing the stuff up and throwing it out, not realizing you yes. have, it, it's essentially walking past the voting booth on November 3rd and saying, nah, I know I can, I know I should, but I don't think I will. Yes, and then having you know to live to with the we consequences. Don't
1: think, we don't say that about politicians. They know what to do. But we say it about members of the board of directors. Now, I want to be easy on us. It's like, well, there's no voter's guides, right? So I remember, you know. Thirty years ago, when I was getting politically involved, we would drive around the county dropping off voter's guides so they knew which state rep candidate was pro-life and which one wasn't. So they need information, and they need to know how to do it. Um, but it's not hard. Uh, it's easier than voting. You can't vote online, for the most part. You can do this online. Um, and the thing is that you, not only can you vote on these but if you have $2,500 worth of stock, which isn't a lot, if you're talking about a retirement plan, if you, or, or 10 people can gather together and easily have $2,500 worth of stock, you can put one of those proxies on the ballot. You can make sure that your question gets put on that piece of paper that gets sent to the, to the shareholders, to the investors. Something like, you know, should Netflix have an external investigation to find out who's responsible for the sexualization of children, um, and a vote on whether to have a policy imposed from above, doesn't matter what the CEO wants to do, imposed from above of no entertainment which sexualizes children, like a referendum. Uh, all it takes is twenty five hundred dollars worth of stock and owning it for one year, and you can put a referendum before every shareholder of that company. Well. you can go to the you can go to the annual meeting. How often can you make a president sit still and listen to you? But once a year, in the annual meeting, the CEO has to actually sit there and listen to you. And you know what? The room is filled with lefties not a single conservative or Christian or maybe one out of the whole crowd shows up for that. So no wonder they keep giving in to the left. I, I don't blame them.
2: I blame us. Well, and we kind of take the the easy way out in that regard, in so much as uh, we'll, we'll occasionally say we're going to vote with our feet and not uh, patronize a particular product. But if you really want to drive the message home to get a chance, as you suggest, at the annual shareholders meeting, which, by the way, you only need to own one share to be eligible to attend. And I on it maybe takes a lot out of you. It's time-consuming. It might may not be convenient on a date or in a location that uh, uh, you know interrupts your Saturday golf game or your weekday schedule. But at the end of the day, when you look at the the influence that these corporations have on our culture, on our society, and most importantly, on our children, I think it's incumbent upon all of us to at least let our voice, our displeasure be heard. And sadly, as Jerry points out, that's not happening all that often. And we've kind of given it up to the notion that they'll engage in self-policing, right? Uh, we said uh, years ago, I think back in the nineteen late 1960s, Hays Code, too complicated, we'll let the motion picture Association, police itself. Um, Certainly, Jack Valenti, the then president, promoted that idea a lot. He lobbied it in Washington, D.C., he gathered support in Congress, and guess what? All of the outside controls. That made sure that certain language, certain behavior, um, certain scenes were not depicted on the screen. All of that went away. They're now going to police themselves. Now we fast forward 50 years, see how well that's worked out. Jerry Boyer with us today, financial economist the publisher of Affluent Investor Daily. Information on the web at affluentinvestor.com. The new article, by the way, Netflix, A Case for Shareholder Activism, is available for your own viewing on National Review. We'll take a brief timeout, get you updated on some traffic, come back with more of our discussion here on the Tuesday edition of Lifeline from KFAX. Right now, 7.18 on the clock. Let's get you a look at traffic.
0: And now back
1: to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: So politicians typically every two years go and gather contributions for their campaign from majority shareholders, oftentimes from boards of directors of corporations. And then once having received the financial favor and being reelected to office, Began to doll out the uh, the favors, right? And that's how you find so much incredible influence in this country because of the cash at the top, majority shareholders, boards of directors, and at some levels you might feel completely powerless. And yet, the broader number of shareholders are often the little guys. That if the little guys just all came together and shared their feelings, took advantage of the opportunity to speak at a shareholders annual meeting or to uh, use their proxy vote, figure out who the candidates are. And as Jerry Bauer just mentioned, this wonderful invention called the internet can oftentimes tell you who they are, where they stand, who they affiliate with, and then ultimately can guide you in your vote. We don't take it seriously, and we should. And, of course, absent any outside controls, we're kind of at their mercy right now. Um, They're going to produce whatever they think it is that's going to bring the most money in unless it so angers people or drives off customers that they change their minds. I have to wonder, to a broader degree, uh, Jerry, and I want to move the, the discussion just for a moment into this direction. I made reference to the Hayes Code prior to yes. the break, and we know that the Motion Picture Association, under the then-leadership of Jack Valenti, lobbied real hard to basically get a hands-off approach. We'll put a code in, we'll self-police, and we know how well All has that worked out. Is it an unrealistic expectation to think that corporate America will always be a good citizen just because it's the right thing to do when there's so much overwhelming influence by the number one motivator, money? And if so, is it time to revisit things like external controls that can go further when it comes to protecting the most vulnerable, and that, of course, is our kids?
1: yes to both yes it's unrealistic to expect them to behave well just because it's the right thing to do when there are incentives monetary incentives uh... to do the wrong thing um... although i would argue that there's you know there's something in st paul the mystery of evil that sometimes they do the wrong thing and make less money um, because there's something about evil that even causes you to do it even when it doesn't give you pleasure so corporations will make degrading movies that, cause, that people don't go and see, right? They'll make junk. Um, they'll make pornographic junk or anti-Christian junk that no one goes to see um, because there's some kind of allure to that rebellion. Um, so it's not all money. There's also something, I think, going on spiritually, although, you know, when people, people have a lust for certain kinds of entertainment, and you can make money, you know, fulfilling that. Um, so there needs to be some kind of external um, check on that. Uh, my point is, in talking to my fellow conservatives, is don't reach for the state right away. In other words, it's like, oh, Twitter did this, Twitter banned something. Well, what's Congress going to do? Well, all right, maybe Congress should do something. I mean, there, there might be a problem with, you know, with Act 30 or whatever, but what are you going to do? For, for me, as a Christian, I believe in self-government first, not the state first. So if I'm a shareholder, I bear a responsibility, and I can't slough that off onto the state. As a consumer, I bear a certain responsibility, and I can't slough that off onto the state. And to be honest with you, I've concluded that generally the state grows... Um, in the spaces left by the church.
2: Oh, absolutely. We, I mean, look, look at what goes on within right. public education. I mean, we have, you know, the, the, the government schools stepping into the role of parenting when it comes, for example, to the issue of let's take sex education. Why? Because parents have kind of abdicated that that responsibility. And, you know, there there will never be a vacuum. That vacuum will always be filled with something.
1: Yes. And, you know, the welfare state, again, fills in what the church wasn't doing um and i think that you know like the things like decency codes uh, Now i don't believe there ought to be indecency out i mean i'm not like an anarchist about this stuff so i don't think there should be nudity on tv or whatever but my point is that that's the, that the state is like the last resort here the first resort is christian witness Christian participation, uh, evangelism, cultural change is not mainly a state thing. The state is downstream from culture. To some degree, culture is downstream from corporations. They're culture makers. I We're all very hypnotized by politics right now, and I've never missed a major election. I mean, that may be a couple, maybe over 30 years, maybe I've missed like one or two municipal elections. So I vote. I'm all for voting. But really, politics... The corporation is the new center of power, not politics. We are giving a lot of attention to politics. I think we really need to give a whole lot more attention to our corporate life. Well, and even as I mentioned in my
2: opening remarks here in this segment, the notion that we sort of uh, look the other way, uh, not recognizing the interplay that goes on between big corporate America, the big money, and the political realm, and how so much one is interdependent upon the other. And at the end of the day, to to deny that reality, I think short-circuits the power that we as individuals and citizens ought to have to be able to, to um, bear influence upon yeah. these companies.
1: Yes, and our point of view has power inherently. Truth inherently has power. So I know that there's more of them, or at least there's more of them showing up. There's actually more of us, but there's, you know, they show up. But I can tell you, I had a couple of, I had a, I had an ongoing conversation with a senior executive at Apple he'd never heard my arguments before i was basically saying okay you've got a diversity statement that says if someone's gay you can't discriminate against them yes right okay all right i don't want to fire people because they're gay what about somebody who's a baptist who gives a sermon on sunday a lay sermon on sunday and comes in monday morning to a pink slip because he quoted romans one and is against same-sex marriage what about protection from him he'd never heard that before that was a completely new idea That you would have protection for that person. Well, we have all the traditional disadvantaged groups, you know, protected. And I said, yes, but in your world, an evangelical Christian or a conservative Roman Catholic. Is the disadvantaged group? I understand that there are places in America where a gay person is in the disadvantaged group, but not in Silicon Valley. Um, uh, So, and he hadn't heard those arguments before. I had had a conversation with the the largest proxy advisor service in the world. They they do most of the votes because usually the the advisors aren't doing the votes. I asked them these questions. They had never heard any. I said, "Has anyone ever talked to you about any of this before?" And they said, "No, never. They've never heard this before." That's a scandal that they have not heard these arguments
2: well and i think it goes to the heart of of the the point that you make inside of this article uh in the national review netflix the case for shareholder activism and that is that they in times past uh have been exposed to the squeaky wheel the squeaky wheel the old adage gets the oil and so if you go you make noise you bring attention uh consideration gets uh, brought forward and people act and respond corporations act and respond And I think it's, as you're suggesting, sort of a one-two punch. Yes, you need to vote with your feet. If you don't like the way Disney is behaving, then stop going to Disneyland. But at the same token, if you are a shareholder, or maybe even the point of engaging in a little bit of corporate America activism by becoming a shareholder, buy a share. Now you get notices. Now you get invited to the party. Now you have an opportunity to at least go to a meeting and speak your piece, or at minimum, To be able to vote in elections that hopefully can put the right people in place that will become more responsible boards of directors that will become more engaged with doing what is right. If you don't hold their feet to the fire, they're never going to be motivated to do it. The article, Netflix, A Case for Shareholder Activism showed up in the October 9th edition of National Review. You can check that out online. More information about Jerry's work, affluentinvestor.com. That's affluentinvestor.com. And our thanks to Jerry Boyer for being with us on that segment of Lifeline. 531 on the clock. Let's get you updated on traffic.
0: And now back to
1: Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: 5.36 on the clock. Craig Roberts on the radio here on the Tuesday edition of Lifeline. Hey, I want to do a quick aside, if I might. Um, There have been uh, some emails that I've received lately pertaining to G. Craig. We read this story about QAnon or we read this story about the gathering of uh, Democratic pedophiles in a pizza a restaurant in New York that's headed by this cabal of uh, Satanists, and uh, why don't you denounce it? Well, I haven't denounced it because it's not based in any form of reality whatsoever. That's not to say that there aren't pedophiles, there aren't crazy people out there, there aren't people that go out and abuse children. All of that is true. Uh, but this current movement that's uh, claiming to want to save the children with all due respect, has absolutely nothing to do with the International Aid Organization, and it is sad that that name has been co-opted, if not more accurately put, stolen. We need to be careful as conservatives that when we're going to engage in thoughtful discussion and debate, that we engage in debate that's based on fact, not madness, not rumors, not the most outlandish potential rumor that could be started just in some cases by people that have a incredible dark sense of humor that then to find out we have lost our sense of moral authority to speak truth because we wish to wallow in the mire in crazy tales so we're not discussing QAnon on this program on purpose we're not talking about cabals of Democratic Satanists that are abusing children in a pizza parlor in Washington, D.C., under the leadership of Hillary Clinton. Hillary has plenty of things on her resume to be criticized for, but that isn't one of them. And if we're going to try and share truth to persuade others, then let's make sure that the words that we're speaking are, in fact, based in truth and not lunacy. All right, enough on that. There is some lunacy here in the state of California, though. <laughs> How's that for a segue? As if that's any news to any of us. Uh, but some of it is based on the inconsistent application of rules and regulations pertaining to the COVID-19 situation. And we recognize that it's in uh, massively out of control. Quarter of a million Americans, practically, uh, that have died from it in a scant uh, eight, nine months, and here as we try to struggle with controlling this disease, um, there are some areas where the government officials are insistent upon getting people to toe the line, wear face masks, social distancing, all of that, and then other cases where it seems to be no big deal at all. Let's get an update from Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Pacific, Justice Institute. And uh, Brad, you've got word for us on uh, Walnut Church, which I'm guessing is down in uh, in Southern California, huh?
3: Yes, it is. And uh, I was there personally. They were having an outdoor service, um, a Christian service, that they were celebrating religious freedom. And they had people worshiping the worship music and, and leading it in prayer and then uh, they had some speakers, and I was one of the, the people blessed with the opportunity to speak. And I, I thought, this is great, right? Uh, no, no big deal. Well, then I found out the rest of the story. They had received a, a, a notice by the public health authority, uh, a public health officer from the county of Los Angeles, 24 hours earlier, saying that if they have this event, it will be not only shut down, but uh, individuals will be arrested and prosecuted. Uh, criminally prosecuted that was the threat uh the uh they, the pastor told me about this and I, was, I thought well he didn't show up it's great It was you know, just a threat well as it turns out as i was about to leave there was the, the public uh health officer uh, right there and i informed the pastor and everyone else i said do not approach him uh instruct the person at the front entrance not to let them him enter he does not have your consent to enter unless he has a warrant and uh, do not even give them, the, give them the time of day. News media showed up. Uh, the sheriffs were there. The sheriffs were on the side of the church and said, "We're not going to enforce any order by this public health officer. Uh, you guys have your, your outdoor service. Um, we're, we're just here to maintain uh, order and make sure that, you know nothing happens." So it was very intense uh, when you have sheriffs there saying we'll protect you, but at the same time you have public health authority in Los Angeles, threatening to, uh, to arrest everyone and, and put people behind bars, and, um, and we at Pacific Justice Institute stood up to them, and I uh, pledged uh, with the media, ABC, NBC, and Colomundo, uh, that we would defend and protect uh, and represent the church and the pastor without charge in any church in similar situations in the state of California, as we are right now in a number of uh, situations.
2: Now, uh, to be clear, this was an outdoor gathering which is kind of one of the essentials, at least in terms of, of, of larger gatherings of people. And were they requiring people do things like uh, social distancing, face masks, all of that? Yes,
3: uh, the people they had face masks, there were actually no place to sit down. They just sort of had a little booths faced out. So people were standing, walking, uh, keeping their distance. And, uh, you know, you compare that to my recent flight on American Airlines, where it was crammed with people, not an empty seat, uh, sitting next to each other for, for five hours, flying coast to coast. Um, it, it's really illogical uh, that you have this this strange dichotomy of, of enforcement of the law. Uh, and we've seen that hypocrisy and that a double standard so much play itself out. And that's why we're so committed at Pacific Justice Institute to make sure that churches like this know that we're here to serve them and represent them and without
2: charge. How much in your opinion do you think is is just sort of not necessarily out of malice, but just out of inconsistent application? I, for example, you can drive through one given city and go down the main drag where there's a 35 mile an hour speed limit and there's police presence and you fly through at, at 45 or 50 and the Police don't even notice you. Other towns, if you're five miles over, boom, they light you up. Now, they have the same laws, same regulations, but maybe just a little bit of a a different enforcement attitude that that might be, uh, I don't know, might be because the police department is just that way under the police chief. That might be that you had an officer who on that given day just wasn't paying any attention, or if he was, didn't care. How much do you think is attributable to just inconsistency in the application or enforcement of regulations in relationship to covid-19 and others that perhaps are maybe more of a case where there's intentional bias
3: it's clearly intentional bias uh, almost all the time and the reason we know that uh, is by looking at the facts the same day that uh, this church was having their gathering uh, a feminist pro-abortion uh, large group much larger was having their their rally there in la they didn't have a permit. There were no arrests. There was no threats. Um, and it's just there was no public health officer out there uh, ordering them to, to stop or threatening them. Uh, it's a, a, a clear, blatant double standard uh, that we see in certain parts of California, like uh, the, the San Francisco Bay Area, Los Angeles County, Ventura County. Um, and these, these places are it's, it's very problematic. Yeah, some parts of California – that the law enforcement and everyone just says, okay, we're not going to do this bullying. We're not going to bully and pick on churches and, uh, and treat them differently. That's you know, more like Kern County, you know, Bakersfield, uh, Clovis, and some other cities and towns. Um, so, it, in Orange County, for example, is much much more reasonable than the, the county right next to it, Los Angeles. But those in, in charge of those counties, um, they have their agendas, and we see a clear, unfortunate. Uh, political parallel with those counties that are tolerant versus those counties that are very hostile and intolerant and, and bigoted in how they're treating churches uh, differently uh, than other institutions and other, other gatherings and groups, whether it's BLM or whatever.
2: So, so here's my $64,000 question, Counselor. Um, Walnut Church was lucky that they happened to have one of the sharpest, hardest-working constitutional lawyers on the planet who happen to be at their event on the weekend. Many others would say, gee, if we only had such fortune, uh, but we don't. So what do we do in our case? How should a church that is operating within the confines of local health regulations and nevertheless feeling this kind of pressure, how should they respond in the moment when they don't have somebody like Brad Dacus in the moment to defend them?
3: Well, they should definitely call us immediately, and our my phone is active twenty four seven as needed, even during non work hours, even on the weekend, because of how intense things are. Uh, but that said, there are some you know, basic principles. Uh, if they don't have a warrant; they can't come onto your property. And that sounds like you know, church has something to hide. No, it's the church wants to make sure nothing is, is made up, um, or 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 falsely reported, or uh, in, in any way. Um, they, it's, um, and we're dealing with churches that have, it's, it's a growing trend, Craig. More and more churches up and down the state are getting these threats, these criminal prosecution threats with pastors, and, uh, and yet we still have several hundred churches up and down that are still having their church services, uh, still being faithful regarding not forsaking the congregation together. We just want them all to know that we're here to serve every single one of them uh, as needed. We have Zoom calls for pastors every other week. Um, that's what we're here for. But this is is very real. The threat is very real. The good news is that if, uh, if the new Supreme Court justice is approved, I believe we'll have a solid five votes on that Supreme Court to strike down as unconstitutional any such action, civil or criminal, brought by the state of California. In the days ahead,
2: well, they're going to have their hands full. Certainly, uh, we know stories of what's happened at churches here in Santa Clara County, uh, most notably in Simi Valley with uh, John MacArthur. So, yeah, that's going to be uh, going to be very telling. Brad Dake is constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. That uh, I'm not going to give you his cell number, but uh, I will give you their Sacramento area number, which is area code nine one six eight five seven sixty nine hundred. Or you can easily reach them online at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. 548 traffic.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Debate coming up on Thursday. Final one between the two presidential contenders that'll be carried live. I'm sorry, that'll be carried delayed by one hour. In its entirety, commercial-free on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. That's this coming Thursday, 7 p.m. here in the Bay Area. We tend tend to think about from the top down, don't we? My next guest is going to suggest it is critically important that we pay attention to the bottom-up. Because today's school board candidate, city council candidate, will be tomorrow's local assembly member for the California state legislature, maybe even congressman or even senator. And oftentimes we think about the top, we don't pay much attention to the lower rungs, but sort of going through the chairs, so to speak, or up the rungs of the ladder, critically important. And voting based on our beliefs and values, critically important, especially in this election brian johnson joins us western regional director of the national right to life committee host of life matters heard every saturday morning at 11 a.m right here on kfax and uh, brian a lot of people don't think about well what kind of influence does the guy who's running for city council the woman on the school board really have but in reality today's school board member could be tomorrow's governor or next year's president
0: well it does work that way most of the time people unlike our current president he is an anomaly but in most of politics folks are working their way up the civic process they work their way up the ladder and a lot of times they make their initial formative decisions early on how they view policy most of the time we don't realize that a lot of folks running for school board for city council they have their own motives and then they're approached by folks like Planned Parenthood. And Planned Parenthood will say, hey, we have a proposal for this schools. We have a health clinic, and we will help parents, and it'll help these kids, and we'd like to offer this to you. And unless they have been taught, unless they're aware that there's more to this issue, it's very seductive. They have to be able to ask, well, wait a second, this Trojan horse gift you're offering, what's inside? Are you really, do you know about these kids? Do you know about their, their personal health background? They don't. These are third parties coming in and getting direct access to parents without their knowledge or consent. And the role of the school board is to stand not on behalf of the government, but on behalf of the parent to make sure that their interests are protected. If they're not asked about that, they will jump to the wrong conclusions. And by the time they get to the assembly, of the Senate. It's very hard to lobby them there because they've already been influenced. So these local school boards are very, very important. We've asked folks in the past to check it out. In most of the counties of California, we now have down-ballot the local races. And it's very important to understand the importance of these local races. I'm going to ask folks to remember that you can make a difference where you are. You can. A lot of times... You know, the old saying, Greg, we've talked about it before, there's three kinds of people. Folks who make things happen, folks who watch things happen, and then the folks who ask, what happened? And in elections, that's often the case, and we don't have to be that way. We can have a tremendous impact. So I'm going to ask that people make sure that you vote locally, vote pro-life, know who the pro-life candidates are all the way down the ballot, Then make sure that your friends and family, the folks who, maybe you can't go to church right now, but there's folks that you know that need to know who's pro-life. And make sure you're telling them, be active, be assertive, make things happen in your community. But then make sure that after you've done this, we have a list of folks. There's races in California where you can help if you'd like to. Uh, I'm not going to mention the specifics, but... This is one of the most important elections we've ever seen, and it's not just at the presidential level. We have to remember that it's local politics where your vote is the most powerful. Your vote and a handful of other votes will elect a school board member. It literally can. Most of these races are very, very close. And so the more you're involved and pay attention, make sure that your friends and family are also involved in paying attention and voting. You can change your community. So we want to remind you to do that at California Pro-Life. We've got the list. Again, most counties, we've got all the way down. We definitely have Congress and the state legislature, so you need to know those. We've done those every year. But we have to take back our communities, and this is how it's done, by taking that extra effort, by being involved and being a person who's making things happen, not just asking afterwards what happened. And that's our chance at election time, to be a salt and a light, right where we are.
2: And what's so critically important, too, and I want to help encourage people, when Brian says, be aware of where they stand on the key issues and vote accordingly— You think, oh, my goodness, where am I going to go and gather all that kind of information? I've gone to the school board members' website, their candidacy website. Maybe you went even to a virtual town hall meeting and, and got little information, little takeaways in terms of where they really Uh, Count Well, the good news is California Pro-Life has done all the legwork, all the hard work for you. And as Brian mentioned, there are uh, just a a bevy, a trove of resources available. By going to californiaprolife.org, you can find out where the candidates stand. Now, certainly you won't find every single candidate for every single race across the entirety of uh, 58 counties, but you'll find many of them. You'll certainly find the big ones and the key ones, to be sure. And uh, maybe you're somebody that's got some information on that and you want to pass it along to California Pro-Life. You can certainly do that as well. And again, uh, Brian, as we mentioned, as we head into the November election, has been discussing many of these issues in depth on his program, heard every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. called Life Matters. We invite you to make a a destination tune in for that. You can also catch podcasts of that broadcast as well. Information on the web at californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. We are two minus, uh, we are T minus 14 days, now 13 days and counting to the general election. And if you have not yet uh, voted already, uh, I want to encourage you to make sure that you get the vote in or show up to the polls on November the 3rd, whatever you feel most comfortable with, and that you make an informed decision, an informed vote. Information again on the web at California Life. Dot O-R-G. Our thanks to Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, for that update. Six o'clock from KFAX San Francisco. We're going to take a look at traffic. We've got some headline news for you. Then back with hour two right now, though, let's you get you that update at traffic.